On Tuesday of this week, another world record was broken when the population of our planet topped 8 billion people. Now, I'm not quite sure what baby's birth put that over the top or even how they count this. But it's fair to say that humankind has kept at least one of God's commands, which is to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's read that passage in Genesis chapter 1. Stand if you're able. And we'll be reading chapter 1, verses 28 to 31. And we like to remind ourselves when we read God's Word, this is no ordinary book. No, this book is from God, breathed out by God. It's inspired, it's inerrant, and it's authoritative. When God says it, that settles it. Right, church? All right, let's read together. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. You can be seated. Now, because everyone is made in the image of God, every person on the planet matters to God. Last weekend, in a message called Gender Matters, we celebrated this truth. It comes right from verse 27 of Genesis 1. In God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. Males and females are equal but not identical because their biological sex is separate and distinct. God created males and females on purpose with different purposes. We've been made differently by design with distinct capacities and roles to fulfill the divine mandate to serve as stewards of the earth. Last weekend, uh, several people came up to me and said, thank you for your courage in preaching on this topic of gender. And at the beginning of that time, so Saturday night, I kind of stumbled through a response, but by the end of the day on Sunday, here's what I said or wanted to say, if I didn't say it all exactly, here's what I want to say. It doesn't take any courage for me. Because I'm simply communicating what God's word says. Do you know who the courageous people are? The high schoolers who are standing for what they believe when their friends and their school and culture's going south. That takes courage. Or young adults who say, I'm going to stay pure until I get married. That takes courage. 
or the student who writes a paper on creation, that takes courage. Or the parents, as you're creating an environment in which your child, your children, your teenagers can grow and develop and develop a Christian worldview, and you're willing to stand against the slide of our culture, that takes courage. And grandparents, when we get out of, well, this is just our playtime, and we say, no, I'm going to be intentional in my grandparenting. I'm going to do all I can to build bridges with my grandkids so that I can be there for them when they go through hard times, and you are taking intentional steps to communicate Christ and to help disciple your grandchildren. That takes courage today. Now, to equip us to respond to the confusion in our culture. Last week, we shared several resources. We put them on sermon extras. Well, this week, we posted some additional links. Let me tell you the first link. It has to do with our with our Christmas series coming up. Pastor uh, Ray Pritchard has uh, written a Christmas devotional. It will serve as a supplement to our December series called The Promise. The next four resources, those are all hyperlinks, gives hope to those who think that they have a different gender and have become confused and even misled, and they're like, I don't know what to do. I need some hope. There are four resources posted there. Now, as we come to the end of our study in the first chapter of Genesis, it's helpful to review what we've been learning the past seven weeks, week one. To move forward in our faith, we must go back to the beginning. Secondly, week two, Genesis has a big beginning. Why? Well, because God is a big God. Week three, when God says it, that settles it. Week four, we're able to see God's provision and providence that he's powerful and he's personal and our response to all of that must be one of praise. Week five, God forms and he fills his creation for his glory and our good. One of the practical applications when you're outside, when you see the stars, the sun, trees, grass, yes, even snow, to say, God made that. Number six, because we are image bearers of God, our purpose is to reflect, to reveal, and represent him. And last weekend, in God's good design, he created everyone as male or female. Now, these past few weeks, many of you have spent time reading through the first chapter of Genesis. I've talked to many of you who've done that way to go. Now, how many of you have accepted the assignment to read through the entire book of Genesis in one sitting? Can I see the hands for those of you who've done that? All right, some of you are like uh, teachers experience this. I ask a question and all your heads go down. Like, <laughs> So, so I, I don't ask that question to shame you. I actually ask that question to let you know that assignment is due on Thanksgiving, so you still have time. You still have time. It was a joy for me to do it one early one Monday morning. I talked to one couple. They read it together out loud back and forth. It took them about four hours to do. So it's certainly a challenge, but it's a challenge well worth it. 
Being made in the image of God, well, what does that mean? Well, the very minimum, it means that we have a personality, we have morality, we have spirituality, and we have a responsibility to respond because we have a soul and a spirit and a will. We possess dignity and value. Do you know there is no one else like you? And there will never be another you. And that has at least two implications. First, unless you are rightly related to the creator through the new birth, your life will lack meaning and purpose. In other words, if you just try to figure life out on your own, finding possessions and pleasure, like I gotta find something, you'll never find it because you've been created by a creator. Reminds me of the words of Augustine, thou hast created us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until... They find their rest in thee. And second, you will never look into the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. So don't write someone off just because you don't like them or they look different or they act different. That person matters to God. Our main point today is this, God created us on purpose for his purposes. So let's look, beginning in verse 28, we see the phrase, and God blessed them. That's the first thing God did. He begins by blessing Adam and Eve. We use the word blessing often, maybe without stopping to think, what does it mean? Well, it means to enrich, to endow. It even means to salute on bended knee. The word comes from the ancient practice of weighing coins on a scale to determine their value. And so the idea of blessing is to recognize someone's worth, someone's value. Interestingly, as we pointed out, men and women are not the first created beings to be blessed. Would you notice verse 22, God blessed the sharks and the sparrows first. In the New Testament, the term translated bless is the word eulageo, which we get the word eulogy from. It means to celebrate someone by paying tribute through giving high praise. And since God does that for us, let's make sure we are doing that for others while they're still alive. In their very helpful book called The Blessing, John Trent and Gary Smalley encourage believers to bless others. It's especially important for parents and and grandparents to do that with children and grandchildren. And they use an acrostic to make it easy to remember, be, be committed. A blessing's not meant just to be this one-time thing. No, it's to stay in someone's life in a long-term commitment for that person's well-being. L, lovingly touch the power of an appropriate hug or touching a hand communicates warmth and acceptance. E, express value. Communicate how highly you value that person. S, see potential. Help that person see a preferred future. Help them see that God has something in store for them and cheer them on to help them move forward. And the S, the second S, say it. Effective blessings must be put into words of affirmation, certainly verbally, often in writing, and many times in both. One of my favorite blessings is in the Bible. You've probably heard it. 
It's from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yeah. Now, it's easy to think, oh God, thank you for blessing me, and then just to sit and soak in that blessing, but that's not how blessings work. We're going to see that, we're going to see five responsibilities that God gave to men and women right from this passage. This has often been called the creation mandate. God blesses us so that we are obedient and bless others. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, it says that God blessed Abram so he in turn would bless the nations. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Deuteronomy 28.2 links God's blessing to our obedience, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Notice, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So let's look now at our responsibility. Number one, be fruitful. The idea behind fruitful is prosperity or growth. So simply put, Adam and Eve were to have children. Psalm 127.3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Are you aware the Bible refers to children as a blessing from God? From conception on, children are made in the image of God and they're given as a blessing from God himself. And so as fellow image bearers, we affirm that babies are blessings, not burdens, and they must be protected from all hurt and harm beginning in the womb. Number two, flourish. We're to multiply which reflects, which refers to abundance. So God brought Adam and Eve together to reflect his image, to represent him, and to reproduce godly offspring. Hey, check out a verse that doesn't get enough attention, perhaps because it's in one of the minor prophets. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Check out Malachi 2, Verse 15, did he, God, not make them, referring to a man and a woman, one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? What was God looking for? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth, if you drop down last phrase in verse 16, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. One of the purposes of marriage between one man and one woman is to multiply the human race by producing godly offspring. God created us on purpose for his purposes. He wants humans to be fruitful and to flourish. Let's look at number three. He wants us to fill the earth. 
That word fill has the idea of finishing or satisfying. That word is used in 1 Kings 18. Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Think of it this way. God was not satisfied with just two image bearers. No, he longed for the entire earth to be full of people who bear his own image. And so this purpose for people to fill the earth is so important that God repeated it after the flood. Let's look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, well, here it is again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wants his image bearers to fill the entire earth, not to stay in just one location like the people tried to do when they constructed the Tower of Babel. Uh, turn over to Genesis 11, verse 8. So they're constructing the, temp, the, the tower. They're all together, verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. That's what God wanted. And they left off building the city. The blessing of the creation mandate then is linked to the ability to multiply and reproduce. Be fruitful and multiply and fill. Now the creator God wants his creation to be fruitful, to flourish, and to fill what he has formed. And since God is blessed by his creation, he's blessed by what he has birthed. So he blesses his creation so it will give birth and multiply. Now, while God has the sovereign power to give or withhold children, his general will is for married couples to have children. Now, let me be very quick to say, that doesn't mean that you're not blessed if you're single or you struggle with infertility or you choose to not have children or Many families have experienced the pain and the agony of a miscarriage. And also remember, neither Jesus nor the Apostle Paul were married or had, had children. But it does mean this. Children, when God grants children, are to be viewed as blessings from God himself. God created us on purpose for his purposes. Man, on, on my way back from the baptistry, I stopped and looked, just talked to the ladies working in the nursery. Wow, that is quite a ministry. And if you're not serving anywhere, we have a lot of children in our children's ministry. I commend that ministry to you as well as our preschool uh, ministry. Let's look next at number four, overcoming obstacles. We're also to subdue the earth, which has the idea of overcoming, as when David subdued the nations in 2 Samuel 8.11. The word subdue doesn't mean mistreatment. No, it means to bring under cultivation. We're to study creation, develop it, and bring creation under control. This is part of God's blessing on men and women made in the image of God as caretakers of creation were to utilize the earth's resources to serve God, to serve others, and for ourselves. God has made us to be gardeners and governors. We're to grow and govern his world. 
We're to be creative in the world in which we live. In, in one sense, we serve as vice regents, as kings and queens, if you will, of his creation, as wise and kind stewards of what he has entrusted to us. Unfortunately, two extremes are often taken. Humans have either wiped out creation or they have falsely worshipped creation. Number five, exercise authority. As part of creation care, God has given us dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Some like to quote this verse as a command to go fishing and hunting. (laughs) Try that out. (laughs) My dad is out in the woods this morning showing his dominion over deer. (laughs) Psalm 115, 16 says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth, but the earth he's given to the children of man. That word dominion means to have power or rule over, but dominion is not the same as domination. And so we should not abuse the environment, we should not abuse animals, and we certainly should not abuse our fellow image bearers. Why? Because we are to subdue and have dominion for his glory and for the good of others. R.C. Sproul writes, we're called to reflect the character of God's righteous rule over the universe. He never ravages or exploits what he rules, but rather reigns in justice and kindness. Now, as part of God's gracious provision, would you note he provided for his creation in two ways. We see this in verses 29 and 30. First, he gave food to humankind. Join me at verse 29. Verse 29, and God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. It's interesting, you see the word behold there. Behold has the idea of look now. It's designed to get our attention, to create expectation. And and so we read where God said, behold, listen to what I'm going to say next. I've given you every plant yielding seed. God's the giver of everything that we need. Acts 17.25 serves as a good reminder as we prepare For Thanksgiving this week, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I think of a prayer our family prays, God, you're great, and God, you're good, and we thank you for your food. By your hand must all be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. This is repeated in Genesis 2, verse 9. Look over at that, verse 9 of chapter 2. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, evidently, Adam and Eve were vegetarians, at least at the beginning. They enjoyed fruits and grains, which is why in their honor I've been eating oatmeal topped with blueberries for breakfast. But after the flood, God gave explicit instructions for humans to eat meat, which is why I enjoy steak and ribs, (laughs) just trying to do my part. 
Now we see that in Genesis chapter 9, look at verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, so he's referring to chapter 1, I give you everything. Occasionally I'll hear someone say it's more spiritual to be a vegetarian, but, but remember the Lord and two angels ate beef when they visited Abraham. The priests ate meat as part of the sacrificial system. Jesus ate roasted lamb at the Last Supper. He ate grilled fish on the beach. But I totally understand if somebody chooses to not eat meat, I totally get that. And you might be doing that for dietary reasons or health decisions, or maybe you just don't like it. One of our grandsons has a genetic disorder, so Protein to him is a poison. He can never have meat. In fact, it was sad. We asked Pip what he wanted for Thanksgiving, and he thought about it. You know, the rest of us are like pies and meat and ham and all that. And he said, well, I'd like cranberries and carrot sticks. Some of you have dietary restrictions. But here's the point. God has graciously provided food for us to eat which is why we must help those who don't have enough. This past week, our Awana clubbers collected food. It was given to the Youth Hope Food Pantry. They did a contest, the boys and the girls. Who do you think won? The girls won again, yes. That's one reason we're doing Christmas curbside on December 13, because there's people in our community who don't have enough, people who are in need. And it's our way to bless those who have less. But notice next, God gave food to the animal kingdom as well. Verse 30, and to every beast of the earth, every bird of the heavens, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. So apparently the animals were also vegetarians before the flood. Oh, would you observe nine times in this passage, we see the words every and everything. It emphasizes God's abundant and generous provision for all humankind in the entire animal kingdom. And seven times in Genesis 1, God calls his creation good. The Hebrew translated as good means well-pleasing. And so after God surveys all that he has done, He explodes with this exclamation of praise. I'm in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, there's a use of behold again, it was very good. In Job 38.7, we read of stars and angels joining God in a celestial choir when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So what has been pronounced good individually, is now pronounced very good collectively. The term rendered very good can be translated as certainly good, surely good, or exceedingly great and mighty. Well, here's a moment for us to worship. As God gazed at everything he created, from the smallest subatomic particles to the largest galaxies spinning in space. 
He celebrated how everything reflected his glory as he planned. Now, as we pointed out before, God is the central character, the supreme character of creation. His name appears 31 times in 31 verses in Genesis 1. His existence is assumed. He's left his fingerprints over all creation. His creation was precise and prompt and perfect. Psalm 14, 1 says, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It was very moving last night. A, a woman was baptized from China, and she grew up being taught that there was no God. She grew up an atheist. There's some horrible things that happened to her. But when she came to know Christ, she is just filled with joy. She told me last night after the baptism, she said, I look the same on the outside, but everything on the inside is brand new. Now, we know from Revelation 4.11 that God created everything for his glory and for our good. Check this out. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power Ah, now we go back to Genesis 1. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And ever since Adam and Eve plunged the world into sin, as we'll see in the third chapter of Genesis, the creation mandate has been challenging to fulfill. After they disobeyed, God pronounced a curse on creation, which affected the two key parts of the mandate. First, Adam and Eve were still expected to be fruitful, to flourish, and to fill the earth with children. But from that point on, it continues to today, that blessing would be accompanied by pain and deep sorrow. Adam and Eve were still expected to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. But now, now that blessing would be accompanied by exhaustion and futility and the temptation to mistreat what God had created. You do know that things are not right in our world today. I just wrote down a few that came to mind. Human trafficking, poverty, murder, sexual sins, gender confusion, pornography, crime, addiction, divorce, abortion, abuse of children, mistreatment of women, injustice, intolerance, prejudice, ageism, and racism are rampant. Some time ago, the New York Zoo put up a sign in front of a cage with this caption on the sign, the most dangerous animal in the world. Well, that got the attention of people who were at the zoo visiting, so they stopped and they looked in the cage, and when they did, they saw their own image reflected on a mirror. Friends, while everyone is made in the image of God, that image has been marred and tainted by sin. And our only hope is to repent and receive Jesus Christ, who will remake us into his image through the new birth. And when we are recreated, we can know and grow to be like the one in whose image we were created. And it's into this world, into this mess, that Christians have not only been given the creation mandate, no, we've also been given the great commission mandate. 
Now listen to the words spoken by Jesus at the end of Matthew 28. We read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, so we're not just to stay in one spot, go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, all languages, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're commanded to take the gospel to image bearers who've not yet trusted in Christ so they can be freed from the cage of their own sins and become conformed to the image of Christ. And throughout the Bible, we see God's heart to bless the nations, the whole earth, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every gospel account ends with God's desire for Christians to flourish with fruitfulness by filling the whole world with the witness of his glory and his grace. We church, are to spread the good news so people can be restored into the image of Christ and so that this message is multiplied to the ends of earth. This past Tuesday, the same day it was announced that our world broke the population record, David Platt tweeted these words. World population reaches 8 billion today. God created, knows, and loves every one of them. And over three billion of them have little to no access to the gospel right now. What a time to be alive. Let's pray, let's give, let's go, and let's live to make his love known among all of them. Now, since God created us on purpose for his purposes, let me suggest three ways we can experience the blessing of God's creation mandate by obeying the great commission mandate. Number one, if you have children, raise them to be godly and equip them to live on mission. Number two, take the gospel to your neighbors and to the nations, and then endeavor to use the gifts and abilities that God has given you all for his glory and the good of others. Now, instead of working for good, some governments in our world are dominating and subduing and persecuting image-bearing followers of Jesus Christ. Earlier in the service, we watched a video highlighting the persecution some Christians are experiencing around the world. In our remaining moments, I want to focus on the country of Iran where Christians are persecuted by the government, which is among the most oppressive regimes in the world. In Iran, it is illegal to leave Islam. And Christians face the constant threat of imprisonment and being falsely charged with acting against national security for simply owning a Bible or even talking about Christ. Oh, but I can't wait to share some good news. In the last 20 years, more Iranians have become Christians than in the previous 13 centuries. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands, some estimate more than 1 million Christians. 
According to Voice of the Martyrs, which is one of the Go Team partners we support, and Operation World, the fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. I'm going to invite you to stand and let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Iran right now. God, we want to begin by giving you thanks for the growth of the church as it gathers in small groups, as it gathers in homes, as it gathers in different places to proclaim your name and to share the gospel and help people grow. Lord, related to that, we pray that you would train up more leaders who will serve as evangelists and church planters and pastors. And then for our brothers and sisters, some who've been imprisoned, you tell us in Hebrews 13 that we're to see ourselves in prison with those who've been imprisoned because they are our family, our brothers and our sisters. Lord, give them endurance, give them faithfulness, give them comfort, and give them opportunity for a clear and compelling witness. Lord, we commit them to you today. Lord, we pray for the globe in particular, Lord, that Christians would be serious, not passive, but passionate about sharing the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.